the most important thing you could share with me today is your perspective. Because the freedom of perspective fuels the logic we use to defend truth. We never stop fighting for freedom and truth, and that is what makes us Americans. Welcome to Critical Thought with Noah Chalaya. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning, 10.07.34, out on our way to a daytime high of 39. On the phone with me, straight from the U.S. Senate, Senator Kevin Kramer. Welcome in, sir. Hey, good to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for making the time, Senator. So uh, I wanted to ask you uh, something off a little bit of, uh, off the, the traditional beaten path. I wanted to talk to you a little <laughs> bit about the Restrict Act, if I could. So oh, the Restrict Act would authorize the executive branch to block transactions, holdings, or foreign adversaries that involve information, communication, technology, and create an undue or unacceptable risk to national security and more. So I know I think you and I are very much on the same page when it comes to China and the threat of China, but I'm curious as to your thoughts and the efficacy or lack of efficacy that you think the Restrict Act, and then as a, as a 1B maybe, I would also like to talk to you a little bit about the, the, um, the Data Act. Uh, how do those two? Where do you, where do you stand on those two things? And do you think that they're effective strategies to combat the threat that is China? So, really important question. And the, the Restrict Act is, is it probably the best um, platform for discussing the larger threat and what exactly we should be doing about it. Realizing, uh, no, and I think uh, every, everybody has an opinion, and a lot of people generally agree. But it's when you get to the details that people start finding disagreement. And that's America. That's the great thing about our country, and it's a wide spectrum. But looking retroactively at, let's start with just China, because the Restrict Act does include some other countries in in addition to China, adversaries. I, I think we can... I think most people could safely say we probably were a little too open with China when we invited them into the WTO, when we went into... Uh, um, to you know that to to the uh, favored nation status uh a few decades ago they've basically spent two and a half three decades exploiting our free open system um using it to to not just do trade with us but to steal intellectual property to to require um technological technology transfers from companies that do business in in China and companies who want to do business in China there's a lot of people there all of that said that led us to things like um you know theft lots of theft and the manipulation of things like Huawei as a 5G platform that, sure. that uh, several countries took and that deals with platforms and it's an important distinction I don't want to nerd out too much but I you've asked a very important question when it comes to the restrict act the restrict act restricts it doesn't restrict it gives it gives some authority for the department of commerce for the department of the treasury uh with tremendous veto powers by the way by the congress because that's that's one area where as you know i've often been critical that we give too much power to the executive branch um because we have three co-equal branches and this inserts congress and sort of into the middle of it which i think is one of the strengths of the restrict act but what i want to do is get ahead of things like a huawei problem get ahead of things like tiktok there's you know it's so funny because tiktok has become the symbol if you will of china's overreach and their ability to manipulate messages into the the minds of its users as well as steal the data collect data on the users to, to learn more about the movements of americans and and the problem with TikTok is that 150 million Americans have already downloaded onto their onto their um, phones or their computers or their you know their various um, equipment. Well, you know now now you have like Josh Hawley, for example, one of the clearly one of the China hawks in the United States Senate, one of the most conservative members of the Senate, as well as one of the greatest protectors of private you know privacy. Um, introducing legislation to ban TikTok. I'm not on that legislation just yet. I may get there. Uh, I am on the Restrict Act, which tries to try, tries to get out ahead of the TikTok so phenomenon. So, to be clear, when you say you're on the Restrict Act, you're saying you support... The- I'm a co-sponsor. I'm I a see. co-sponsor. Okay. Do you think that there are any concerns about 
the bill surviving a First Amendment review? Are there any concerns sure. for you there? Yeah, there, there are, um, which is why we have to craft the bill in such a way as to, to protect First Amendment rights. Um, the, the Restrict Act was actually a, a Trump um, rule. He, they, they did a rulemaking um, to, to ban TikTok. They, they basically created the Restrict Act. Um, and I think it's important to know that since that time, just last month, as an example, the four top apps downloaded by Americans are all Chinese owned. So TikTok's the big one, but the four top apps. And, and so that was a rulemaking that stood until it was deemed um, unconstitutional. So, because, and it was deemed unconstitutional because the president in his executive powers didn't have that, the authority to, to reach as far as, as President Trump did. So basically what Senator Warner and Senator Thune, they're the two co-sponsors, the, the, the two authors of the bill, mm -hmm. um, the lead, leads on the bill. They're both on the Commerce Committee, which is a committee of jurisdiction. Senator Warner, Mark Warner, also happens to be the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, pr pretty important from his perch there. They've, dra they've drafted the bill that I've co-sponsored to, to, you know, to now give some of that, that executive authority to the president and to, to the executive branch with this, this congressional oversight in an effort to try and protect First Amendment rights, make it meet constitutional muster, but at the same time protect Americans. I, I want to be fair to people because I, I, love, I love hearing back from people. I did a, a, a national show last week on this same topic, and I love hearing back from people on it because I think we can make it a little tighter. I think, I think we need to maybe even tighten the reins a little bit on yes. the executive branch, things like that. Um, but at the same time, um, again, protect Americans. So it includes not just China, it includes um, uh, other adversaries, specific adversaries, uh, to include, by, by the way, Venezuela and Cuba. Again, I'm not sure that Cuba needs to be on that list, but I'm happy to forward the legislation for that very debate. But North Korea, Iran, China and Russia. And again, very specific. This is again, where it's tailored more to specific adversaries um, as opposed to just the world in general. So it's, it's certainly unsettled, um, Noah, but I, I prefer this route to, I guess, just plain whack-a-mole every time, you know, 150 million Americans download a Chinese app, do we then restrict that one? And, or, or can we get out ahead of it? And we're not, by the way, here's the other thing. The, the, one of the misconceptions you hear a lot um, is that it's, you know, Patriot Act 2.0. The difference here is that the Patriot Act allows... Um, very specific individual data, the Restrict Act does not. And that's one of those First Amendment parameters that we put on it. The Restrict Act is only aimed at specific companies from specific countries that either are a, a platform or a technology um, hardware, like a Huawei or like a, a TikTok, th th those kinds of things. And it doesn't just automatically um, restrict all of them that come here. They're all subject to this this review process um, w that just allows us to get into these things a little bit sooner than after 150 million Americans have already downloaded them. So respectfully, Senator, if somebody wants to download TikTok, why does the U.S. government have the right or the ability, why should the U.S. government have the right or the ability to tell them, no, you shouldn't have that app, you can't have that app, we will stop you from having yeah. that app? Yeah, so I, I, that's a fair question, but... Um, there are a lot of other restrictions. There are travel restrictions to particular countries. There are investment um, restrictions on certain things uh, that are meant to protect the greater good of the country. That one of the one of the few legitimate things the federal government obviously has authority over is um, protecting Americans from from adversaries and protecting our country from adversaries. And the thing about apps and and technological advancement is that while they can certainly be used for good. They can be used for benign entertainment. They can also be used against us in a very sure. significant way. And, and so with our open system, let, let me put it this way, it, 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 the, the reverse could never happen where China would just allow every Chinese person to download whatever app they want to download from the United States. And certainly in Russia, they block um, American news from getting there and, and, you know, for getting in. And so they use that their own misinformation machine against our very open system. Mm -hmm. We want an open system. No, no question. You asked the, the, the legitimate question. And I think a lot of this is, is really 
Well, I want I want to get back to something that, that I, I started to say earlier, too, mm-hmm. that, that you have two senators on the appropriate committees who are senior senators um, who have introduced the bill. A lot of co-sponsors from as far right as Mike Crapo to as far left as I, I you know, several Democrats that, that are on the bill. It's a very wide um, swath that's being um, cut here. But the good thing is it's, it is in the right committee of jurisdiction that you will have hearings on it. It will be a transparent process um, because of which, by the way, will include amendments and in an amendment process. For example, like I said earlier, I don't really know that Cuba has to be on this list. I think the problem with Cuba and Venezuela is they sort of represent surrogates or back doors into, um, you know, into the country. But North whereas China is very direct Russia's very direct, but even they're starting to use surrogates to to engage in illegal activities or to avoid sanctions. For example, there's another area, by the way, by the way, where the federal government often uses things like sanctions to uh, protect the country against uh, against adversaries. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on the air with Senator Kramer. Good morning. Good morning, Senator Kramer. Good, good morning. See, I was watching Fox News last night. There was a senator. Um, who's trying to get you guys to give this guy a whistleblower protection for an FBI agent that has enough evidence against the Biden crime family. You know, Joe Biden and mm-hmm. 10 family members. Will you right. support that uh, whistleblower protection? I'll hang up and listen. Uh, I, I, yeah, no, I, I certainly would. And, and quite honestly, there are people coming forward now. Um, there's an IRS um, investigator a long time, you know, IRS career, uh, career IRS uh, agent um, that does criminal investigations that has come forward. I don't know that we have to grant them that. Frankly, whistleblower status, whistleblower status is in the is in the federal code already in the various agencies. I think sometimes some of the people that come forward as whistleblowers feel like that's not an adequate. Um, protection that the agencies themselves are supposed to give them given just how big this this problem may be for the highest level the highest office in the land i i will tell you guys first of all i think the hunter biden china and russian connections are such that um it has the potential if it hasn't already to compromise our president and i think you see some things that that make you wonder if he's not in a compromised position um and, and it's part of why you don't get a lot of support from the administration on you know on, on certain things in, that involve china or at least they move slowly and so um yeah i absolutely support whistleblower protection for whether it's an fbi agent or an irs agent or any number of other people who are starting to come forward with a lot of concerns and and, and claims of evidence that that demonstrate um that, that demonstrate quite honestly Noah, even besides whatever crimes they might be uh, that that may have happened or mm-hmm. attempted to happen the cover ups of these things that that's as bad as anything usually is the the problem Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX with Senator Kramer. Good morning. Good morning, Senator Kramer. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. How are you? <clears throat> my my question to you is: Why is Eric Swalwell allowed mm-hmm. to sit on any committee panels? This is yeah. the guy who had an affair with Fang Fang, a known Chinese spy. And for some reason, why doesn't our nation comprehend that? China has no free elections. Their Communist Party runs the government. And this lady was gathering intelligence on our country. Well, this is is exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is exactly why Speaker McCarthy kicked him off of the the intelligence committee that he was on. Um, That's exactly why he doesn't serve on sensitive committees. Uh, Your question is, you know, why is he on any committee? Um, I, I think, and, and that would be something to take up with both House rules and House members. The, the other thing you might, want, the other thing we always are sensitive to is the fact that he continues to get reelected by his own constituents, and that is the strength of the people's house. It's also why there are 435 of them, um, because you'd hope that with 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 
narrow representation of a of a small of a particular um, constituency that the house represents, roughly seven hundred to eight hundred thousand people per house member. Um, you also then have a lot of house members, and and you have regular two year increments of, of elections, and so people have an opportunity to evaluate the performance of their local house member. But he has been prohibited, um, blocked from serving on sensitive committees as a result. But that's also in the House. I'm, uh, you know, it's a little. We don't have anything to do do with governing the House over here. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. The the call dropped there. But if you, uh, I heard mm. you saying something right before it uh, drops. So if you give me a call back, I'll put yep. you back on. Um, uh, for now, seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX with Senator Kramer. Good morning. Good morning, Noah. Good good morning, Senator. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so my my question is this, Senator Kramer. Uh, knowing that state. And, and federal government policy enactment um, can move at a glacial pace. <laughs> yeah. uh, would you consider it prudent for cities and townships at the local level to incorporate safeguards against uh, businesses and, the, and, and, and their subsidiary uh, components that belong to or, or are deeply associated with foreign adversary uh, nations? to uh, incorporate into their own local policies uh, requirements to uh, submit to full CFIUS reviews or yeah. to, um, you know, open themselves up for further review uh, in order to protect the, you know, add another layer of protection for, for the locality sure. as well as the, the state and the country and also incorporate into those, uh, those policies consequences for leadership that uh, doesn't, you know, knowingly tries to skirt around things. Um, it, it seems like one of those things, the, the uh, insidious nature uh, of, of what we have seen go on with um, the CCP and, and uh, larger companies coming out of there, it, it gets uh, – they find a lot of ways to find loopholes and to get into things. So yeah, so it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, great, really great question. You know, it's it's. I chuckle when you use the word glacial pace because it's so interesting what we're learning, Noah, about the wisdom of our founders mm. and the glacial pace that they built into our system. And sometimes it's extremely frustrating, but most of the time it's designed specifically to, to create the glacial space, the glacial pace, so that we don't over. You know, we don't act too quickly and too impulsively, and that's what the Senate, of course, especially is all mm. about. That said, um, we've given too much power to the bureaucracy, which moves much quicker than the glacial pace of of, uh, of Congress. And another whole debate to to the caller specific point, because I get I know what he's getting at now, of course, and um, I, I just uh, authored a. Um, an op-ed at the request of the Washington Examiner that I think is being, um, I think we're submitting it today on, on at their request on, on behalf of the experience in Grand Forks. They, they okay. asked me to talk about CFIUS uh, and, and the clumsiness of it. I guess that's my term, not necessarily theirs. Sure. Um, and, and ways that it needs to be improved upon so that, so that I, I want to get to the caller's point about local, uh, local communities, but I first want to not shed the responsibility the federal government has and that they neglected in, in the CFIUS process on behalf of Grand Forks and, and behalf of the Fufang project. So, yes, we, first of all, need to do a better job at the federal level being the good um, partner that we need to be uh, to the local and the state level. That said, can you build in more safeguards to slow down the process mm-hmm. at the local level, to which I say, yes, you can. But remembering, again, if you're, if you're an economic development organization or a community, a small or mid-sized community like Grand Forks is, um, one of the things you want to be able to do is work at the pace of corporate America, work at the pace of investment decisions so you don't miss out on opportunities either. So I, I don't, I, without judging you know, the, the specific situation in Grand Forks, I would just say we want to be careful to not so hamstring our leaders that, that we miss great opportunities as well. But I think safeguards regarding specific countries um, that are in sync with, with you know, national concerns, national security concerns, particularly if you're a, if you're a community like Grand Forks is with, uh, with uh, military bases and assets, I think that's entirely appropriate and proper. I think that you're going to, hopefully you were seeing that very discussion taking place in Grand Forks. And one of the things that I write about in the piece 
for the Washington Examiner. Uh, I think there are compliments that can go all the way around to people on, on all sides of this issue. My hope is just that they can sort of unify around some things so that um, – you know, everybody's on the same page going forward. And I'm confident that can happen. I mean, Grand, Grand Forks leaders love their military. They love their military base. They love their communities. And, and there's no reason that all, they all can't coexist. Um, we just need to, we need to have those safeguards in place that, that protect the, the most important assets. Sound good? Sounds good. Right. Thanks. I would encourage you to, to keep pursuing the, that, though. I think it's a great point. It's a lot easier to it's a lot easier to discipline yourselves if you have some institutional discipline built in, so that you just can't go outside of those those parameters um, and still do what you need to do within them. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. The number to join us. You can call or text that same number. Email us live at knoxradio.com, The way to get uh, to Senator Kramer. So I, I want to go back uh, to the. So we talked a little bit about the Restrict Act. If you could, could I mm-hmm. could I ask you to go into the Data Act a little bit? The difference between uh, the two, primarily being one requires a uh, the. The, the Data Act requires executive action. The Restrict Act authorizes them following a review right. process. And the Data yeah. Act, I think you already pointed this out, but it only applies to China, whereas the Restrict Act applies to China, Cuba, Iran, North Korea, Russia, and Venezuela. Could you talk a little bit about the differences between those two and why they're both necessary? Yeah, and and um, and maybe, they, maybe the two can come together where they're not as necessary. Both acts, by the way, are built on what's known as um, the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. And, and believe me, that doesn't give me any more comfort than it probably gives anybody else. Big, big <laughs> terms don't. And, and these are sort of historical authorizations um, of the executive branch aimed largely at the president. So what we've seen happen, of course, is um, that presidents or executive branches often use these em- uh, emergency powers, whether it's emergency economic powers or, or emergency pandemic powers or whatever, to over-regulate the people that they, that they serve. And that's always the challenge. Um, the Data Act is, is aimed at, again, various commercial transactions specific to China, and then to block, block the um, you know, property or assets that are subject to U.S. jurisdictions. Um, with with exemptions, um, with exemptions, I'm not as up to date on the Data Act or up to speed on the Data Act as I am on the Restrict Act because the Restrict Act is aimed um, the, 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 the deterring the the, uh, the Data Act is, is a by the way data stands for deterring America's technolo- technological adversaries I believe mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's aimed at specifically at technologies Restrict is not confined to just technology advancements it's it can be all kinds of things related to to labor um, like like the 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 Uyghur Forced Labor's Act, for example, that that is specific to to China, mm-hmm. um, that that may or may not be a technological issue that data implies. So I, I think it's it, it's it's pretty specific. The Data Act does have some um, it establishes some sanctions as well on certain transactions that are related more to to uh, software or connected software. And, and no, I, again, I, I, I can get in over my head just much faster than I can get over yours probably. <laughs> but, but, and certainly to a lot of your listeners, because one of the, I will say this, one of the attributes of your listeners is you have very sophisticated listeners. And that's what, one of the reasons I appreciate this, this show and this station so much. And, and frankly, your community. But one of the concerns I have is that we sometimes tend to oversimplify how difficult the strategic decoupling from China will be. Remember I said the four top um, app downloads by Americans last month were all four owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Um, we're all, they're already super embedded. I don't know that there's a great way to unwind anything. I just had dinner the other night, sat right by Mike Gallagher. My, he's a very good friend of mine who chairs the House um, Ch- China Committee, uh, co-chairs it with, with his Democratic colleague and a strong bipartisan committee that's looking at all things China. And I think sometimes we have to be a little careful to not try to unwind too much of what's already deeply embedded and focus more on what we can prevent going forward. And that's more what the Restrict Act does. It, 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 it's forward-looking. While it looks at the experiences of the past, it's forward-looking. The Data Act, I think, is looking really specifically at 
software more than it is at the hardware and the apps them, the apps um, themselves. It's 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 and and by the way, none of this looks at VPNs. In other words, it's not aimed at spying on individuals. It's not even really interested in individuals. It, it, the, the the Restrict Act's not even. It's, I don't want to say it's not interested, but it, but it's not really interested in content. Even it's interested in how it happens, as opposed to what it, what is happening. So respectfully, and, though, uh, respectfully, if you, so, yeah. if you say you can't download this app, and I can go sign up for a VPN service, VPN into China, and download the app, how does that not either yeah. defeat the purpose of the bill, or how does the bill not impl- imply that yeah. there has to be some restrictions yeah. on VPNs? Sure. Um, well. I, well it's not going to look at VPNs, but I think to, to answer your question with another sort of philosophical thought, all laws that prohibit anything, whether it's speeding or whether it's theft, one of the illustrations I like to use is, um, you know, the reason people padlock their small grills onto their pontoon isn't to keep their to keep criminals or, or thieves from taking it because they will anyway. It's to keep the honest people from being too tempted by it. Mm. And so, so all laws basically assume a certain amount of compliance. Um, and so, there's there, sure, sure enough, as, as many restrictions or as many protections as a person or a government or an entity might put up, uh, there will be people trying to find ways to go around it. But but the more ways, you, more roadblocks you put up to illegal activity, hopefully the more you can curb illegal activity. But you'll always need cops on the beat. Um, but yeah, the VPN issue is it's specific in Restrict Act. It does not allow um, because it's not built on or it, the premise or interested in going after specific VPNs. Only going, only restricting countries and companies that are adversarial. Senator Kevin Kramer, a weekly feature on Critical Thought here on News Radio 1310 KNOX. Senator, we appreciate the time. We'll get you back on the program next week. I always appreciate your station and your listeners. Thank you, Noah. All right, sir. Appreciate the time. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning. It is 10.07.29 out on our way to a daytime high of 32. My name is Noah Chalaya. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this morning. In the weeks leading up to a flight, Musk gave 50-50 odds that the spaceship would reach orbit. This is SpaceX's latest intention to launch a reusable spacecraft into space. So... Years ago, Elon Musk decides that he wants to go to Mars. You can think whatever you want to think about the benefit or non-benefits of going to Mars, but that's what Elon Musk decides he wants to do. So he has a bunch of money from selling PayPal and and founding PayPal, and so he starts SpaceX. And at first, everybody thinks this guy's crazy, myself included. You can't go to space. It requires Hundreds of millions of dollars in some of the world's top scientists to get us into space. And even then, it doesn't work all the time and people die. And we watch that happen over and over and over again. It's a silly idea. And oh, by the way, even if you can somehow manage it, what are you going to do up there? It's not meant for human life. So it's a dumb idea. It's a lot. It's a really expensive dumb idea. That's where I started from. So he sits down and he goes, I'm going to build a rocket. And the first thing he did was he went over to Russia because he heard that there was a way that you could buy Russian rockets for like $200,000. That's way cheaper than building a rocket or trying to do it yourself. So he flies over to Russia and they meet with this Russian military person who supposedly is the guy that can get him in contact with the rockets and all the rest of it. And, you know, they they land and they go and meet. And so the Russian guy is laughing and they're having drinks and they're hanging out or whatever. And eventually Elon starts talking about how he wants to go to Mars. And so he needs a rocket to go to Mars and he needs to do this and all the rest of it. The Russian guy gets super offended, super offended that Elon Musk is. And he starts saying, you know, this is not a, it's not a toy for rich billionaires. This is an implement of war and it's very serious and basically throws Elon Musk out. So Elon Musk is sitting on this plane and he's not saying anything. And all of the people that are with him know he's pissed off. And so they're kind of watching or whatever. And so they kind of look up and they're like, what is he doing up there? He's just been furiously whacking away on his laptop and spreadsheets. What is he doing? 
And he turns around and he says, I think we could build this thing. I think we could build a rocket. So long story longer, he gets back to the U.S., he hires engineers, and they start working on what they call the Falcon rocket. The idea was, can you build a rocket that gets into space? He had enough money to build three rockets. So he sits down and he tries, builds rocket number one. It fails. Builds rocket number two. It fails. Builds rocket number three. Everybody at SpaceX knew this was their final chance to get a rocket into orbit. And if they didn't do it, the rich billionaire is out of money and there's nothing more they can do. They fire rocket number three and it fails. So they think they're done. Elon Musk ultimately sells everything he owns, borrows money from friends, family, goes completely bankrupt to save up enough money to, well, and at the same time he's working on Tesla, so he's, he's, he's limping that along, saves up enough money to build a fourth rocket. And they build a fourth rocket and they get it into space. And NASA turns around and says, holy crap, we didn't think that that could be done. That's amazing. We will pay you to start building rockets. And so they give him a $1 billion grant. So that was like 2018, 2019, somebody, somewhere in there. And he starts working towards real missions with SpaceX. And as part of the NASA, as, as part of NASA's requirements, if you're going to strap an astronaut in there and send them somewhere, you have to do a lot of testing and you have to prove that you can successfully get a ship from planet Earth into space and wherever they need it and not kill anybody or blow up in the process. And so there are a number of different tests that you have to do that. Do you know what we were doing prior to Elon Musk building SpaceX and launching American rockets into space? We were sending our astronauts to China and Russia. Russia. We were sending our astronauts to Russia. An American astronaut was asked, she was one of the, one of the females that went into space, and they asked her, she said, what would you tell little girls that want that dream of going into space or want to become astronauts? You know what our answer was? Learn Russian. How embarrassing is that? So I start from this simple premise. Either there is a benefit to going into space or there is not a benefit in going to space. If there isn't a benefit in going to space, well, then there's no reason to pay Russians to carry Americans into space. If there is a benefit of going into space, then why aren't we doing it? Because we will do it better. Interestingly enough, that's largely the tack that Elon Musk took. Everybody else talks about doing things. Everybody else dreams about doing things. He sits down and makes it a reality. And he's an engineer, and so he likes to work problems from the ground up, and he likes to solve things, and so he sits down. And if everybody else wants to say, that's crazy and you can't do it, that doesn't bother him. There are plenty of people. You can find a person on every street corner. If you give them enough money, we'll tell you something can't be done. That's cheap. That's easy. Anybody can say, yeah, you can't do that. I don't think that's possible. You walk up, hey, you think you could do this? No, I don't think you could do that. Oh, okay, here's 20 bucks. That's easy to find. It's much more difficult to find somebody that goes, huh, interesting problem. I think we could do that. I'll work to do that. That takes a, a special kind of human being. So he starts looking into the feasibility of doing this thing and realizes he ultimately can do these things. And so they build a Falcon rocket. They've got it into space. They have this billion dollar contract. So then they start working on a space shuttle. Here's the deal. Would it have been ideal if Elon Musk and SpaceX had done everything themselves? Yes, it would have. Would it have been ideal if they were completely privately funded? Yes, it would. I don't like the idea of subsidies. I don't like the idea of oil subsidies. I don't like the idea of farm subsidies. I don't like the idea of health subsidies. I don't like the idea of space subsidies. I don't like subsidies. Period. End of story. So if there's a real market value in sending things to space, then go take your own money, save up, build a thing, and go into space. So that is absolutely true. And if you're going to ask for public money, then the question has to be asked, and I'll ask at 775-5559, is going to space the highest priority for the use of our tax dollars right now? Because you still have people that don't have food on planet Earth. You still have people that don't have affordable housing. You still have massive crime problems and safety problems in, inside, of, in, inside of our current planet. I'm not sure we're at an existential risk of being exterminated to the point that we need to get to another planet. I'm not sure that's our highest priority, particularly given the price tag associated with it. That said, we continue to push into space for various things, research and the International Space Station. And we uh, recently replaced the Hubble Space Telescope. And so we're learning about our environment and we're learning about the box in which we live in. And there is value in that. Additionally, it turns out 
There's all sorts of uses for when you can get things into space cheaply. There's all sorts of things that you can do from space that you can't do here on planet Earth to make life on planet Earth here much better. I'll give you an example. Starlink. Starlink has to be one of the most amazing things, uh, amazing inventions of my lifetime. I literally have a 24-inch dish that I can take anywhere I want to go, and I point it up at the sky, and I wait a couple of minutes, and a few motors do their thing, and eventually internet comes out the other end of the cable. As a child, driving down the interstate and thinking to myself, man, if only I had access to the internet, I could look this up. And then mobile data became a thing, but then you were reliant on cell phone towers and all the rest of it. To be able to say, I can see that big blue sky, I can get onto the internet. That's a fantastic thing. And it changes the life of people in third world countries where the idea of running fiber lines and putting up cell phone towers is funny to them. The idea that anybody would have that kind of money or that kind of infrastructure or even the equipment to build that kind of infrastructure is downright hilarious. So they don't have any prayer of having those kinds of things in their country. But they can absolutely buy a $500 dish that they can point at the sky and all of a sudden internet comes out the other end. And it's, it's just done amazing things. Even here in, in, in this area or in Fargo, there are businesses that they're largely – they were built at a time and where they just – didn't think about running internet in and now other things have built up around them. And so it's very difficult to get infrastructure into those businesses. But Starlink, again, everybody can see the sky. Everybody can look up. And so being able to put that on has allowed businesses that formerly didn't have reliable or really any internet at their business now are able to have internet. That's only possible because it's cost effective to get things into space. So imagine this. Imagine if you every time you drove someplace, you had to buy a new car. So you went and spent $24,000 on a new car, and you drove it, and you, let's say they tow it to your house, and so it's there, and you want to make a run to the grocery store. You have to, what, tow another car behind you? And then you get to the grocery store, and you've burned up one $24,000 car, and you get into your other $24,000 car to make the trip home. None of you would grocery shop anymore. You would all walk, or you just would stop grocery shopping, because it isn't cost-effective to do so. Spending $200 million on a rocket to get into space when the rocket then burns up and then it's useless is ridiculous. It's, it's like taking a yacht to go across the ocean and then sinking the yacht after you're done with it. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So step one is you need reusable rockets. And it's funny to me that when we talk about the expense of going into space or it's, we talk about why it isn't practical to go into space, we have all of these preconceived notions of the way that we did it back in the 60s. And we've just assumed that, well, that's the way that's best it's going to be, right? You have rockets that cost $200 million to get in space and then it burns up and it's no, we don't really know how to make them reusable. And so we just can't make them reusable. And so then they just got to burn them up and it's $200 million, $200 million price tag to get into space. And we just accept that as truth and we move on. And in less than 15 years, there's a dude that's been able to prove otherwise. He landed the Falcon rockets. First, he built one, got one to go into space. Then he built what he called the Falcon Heavy, which is essentially three Falcon rockets strapped together and launched that into space. And then he built one that where the three rockets go into space and then they turn around and land each other. They launch whatever it is they're going to launch into space and then they fall back to Earth and they land themselves right back to where they started. And because they have engines, and because they're flyable and they're controllable, they're ships. So they're little ships that attach onto a, on a capsule, and they're able to put stuff into space. Now, you're paying for jet fuel. So, or, well, rocket fuel, I guess. So it becomes way more cost effective. And you're done with the spending $200 million a rocket to get into space one time. And it becomes sustainable. So now, when you want to do something like Starlink and you say, hey, we need all of these tiny little satellites and we need them up in the, in, in the sky. We can attach these rockets and we can ship, put the satellites in the sky and we, we let them ride. So the next stage in the game is now to build shuttles, things that you can take, take astronauts up to places, leave them and bring them home and we can launch them into space and we can pull them back out of space. That's the next goal. So they've already done one that replaced the shuttle used to take Americans to the International Space Station, and it was successful. And 
unlike the 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 um the ships of the 60s or even the russian ships where as you're going through re-entry you're creating obviously a lot of heat as you're hitting the earth's atmosphere and so everything glows red hot and the thing shakes and it's you know it's almost it's like a horror movie inside of this thing the the the, the spacex uh, shuttle is a white interior it has led lights everywhere so everything is lit up you can see what's going on you can see what's happening outside all the rest of it Everything is designed with creature comforts and to be stylish to the point that now very rich people, wealthy people are booking flights to go take a trip around the moon because you can safely and cost effectively take people into space, fly them around the moon and take them back home. So this space uh, launch that happened yesterday was 30 some rockets. So they're scaling up. You build one rocket, it makes it into space. You put three rockets, attach a spaceship to it. Fly it into space, land the rockets, you can do that. Okay, now can you do it with 30 rockets? And the problem that they're up against or were up against was when you're talking about igniting 30-some rockets all at the same time and they all have to burn and carry this thing up into space, the chances of it going wrong, Elon Musk put it at about 50-50. And not only did they make it off the launch pad, which was their goal, they made it into flight they achieved, uh, uh, you know, a positive speed going up, and it wasn't until separation that there was a problem. So they they blew away their wildest expectations of their goals, and it's really disappointing to me that the vast majority of media is negative on this. This was this was just the first of many tests to build a super heavy shuttle that could make it into space, and they did it. And he did it in his one guy and a company where NASA didn't want to even try or couldn't try because they're focused on researching the smell of pig farts in Nevada or something. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 1079 1033 FM. Welcome back. It is 102529 out on our way to a daytime high of 32. We're talking about the SpaceX launch. The rocket exploding just minutes after it left the launch pad did not make it into space, but did make it to 394 feet and 17 million pounds of thrust. Text Messenger says the launch was awesome. I can't wait for more. So, again, this is one of the things that is frustrating to me about the news media is if you will go and look, you go and look at all the headlines that we're talking about SpaceX. None of them really reference the fact that this was one of many test flights and the bar for success or failure was, can we get all of these rockets to light at one time and make it off the launch pad? That was the bar. If we did that, test one, success. We can do that. Then we can work on things like. How do we get it to climb? Then we can work on things like how do we get to separate properly? And then finally, we can say, how do we actually get it into space and have it do something and return the rockets? So we're talking about step like four or five, and we're on step one. We do step one. We blow way past expectations of, of one. Not only does it light and do, not only does it make it off the launch pad. So, hey, success. We made it all the way to separation. We made it all the way to the point where the rockets were ready to break off and it was going to send the capsule the rest of the way and the rockets fall back to Earth. That's amazing. And instead, we all act like we're disappointed because it blew up and, oh, man, it only made it one and a half minutes or whatever, and then the rocket blew up. Like, either we don't understand what we were trying to accomplish here or... We just have this attitude of we like to see things fail and blow up and not succeed. Either way, it's 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 fairly disappointing to me. My question to you at 775-5559, is it worth a billion dollars? The federal government is subsidizing SpaceX to the tune of over a billion dollars with the goal of being able to have recyclable space flights so that you can get into space. You can fly an astronaut up to the International Space Station. You burn the rockets to get back to reentry. 
It falls back down. The original rockets used to deliver the 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 the, the, the uh, spaceship to the International Space Station have returned, and the the ship itself can go through entry, and the shuttle can return, and it can be used again. So we've accomplished three things. We've brought astronauts from Russia and China and other countries that we're using, that we're paying them to send our astronauts up because we can't do it. We've it's been so long since we've gone to space, we don't even remember how to get to space. So that's thing one. Thing two that we've solved is you have an American building an American spaceship to take Americans into space from American soil. So that's thing two. And then thing three is they're reusable, which is something that's never been done before. And so the fact that you can launch these things into space cost effectively and bring them back means now you can take rich people around the moon and say, you want to go see the moon? We'll take you to the moon. We'll fly around the moon. Then we'll come back because we've made it safe enough. We made it routine enough and we've made it cost effective enough that that's possible. So what other things are possible? I didn't I wouldn't have even thought about using satellites to low orbit satellites to be able to get high speed, low latency Internet but I'm th- thank God somebody did because it's fundamentally changed my life and the life of people that didn't have access to the Internet before. Text messenger says, sadly, many, many listeners have no concept of innovation. At some point, SpaceX rocket will work. There is no different than electric vehicles or self-driving vehicles. At some point, they will outperform gas powered and be the norm. I would argue it's we're already there. I would argue that he already has proven numerous times that you can take a Falcon rocket that you can fly, put something into orbit, and then you can have it land. What they're working on now is how do we get heavier and bigger stuff into space? Because if you actually want to go to Mars, you're going to have to fly a bunch of equipment there. And because people at the moment, we can't sustain life on another planet, you're going to have to cycle people out. They'll have to come back to Earth for a little bit, and and unless they're doing resistance exercises or something like that to off-put gravity and all the rest of it. But like, largely you're going to have to probably, and nobody's going to want to be stuck on another planet either. But if you can say like, Hey, once a week the ship leaves and it comes back to earth. And then, you know, two days after that, the ship coming from earth and we just have them passing each other. And we essentially have ocean liners like space and you can go over to Mars. You can stay in Mars on a week and you know all the rest of it. I mean, we're fine. You would, it's not that crazy. It's not that far out. And so the amount of success that this man has been able to achieve in such a short period of time, when everybody told him from day one it was ridiculous, I don't know. It's just really, really impressive to me. 10.30, we'll head over to the KNOX News and we'll pick it up on the other side. This is Critical Thought in KNOX. KNOX 1079-1033 FM. It is 1038-29 out on our way to a daytime high of 32. We're talking about Elon Musk's latest spaceship launch, a success. Off the launch pad, made it higher than anybody thought it would, made it all the way to separation before they had... <laughs> this is kind of funny. In unplanned, rapid... Uh, what did they call it? Unplanned... Uh, unplanned... A, a rapid unscheduled disassembly. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to park that in my brain. Rapid unscheduled disassembly uh, occurred after after separation. But the point is, they were able to successfully prove that you can l- l- light thirty some rockets all at the same time and lift off. That was that was really where the success bar at, was at. Now, text messenger has this to say: Look, let's look at the secondary and tertiary effects of the launch. The media must believe that advanced rocketry only benefits space exploration. Let's not pretend that the military applications would not be enormous. I am glad that Musk is an American. So you want to talk to me about the benefits of immigrants coming to the United States. What about a guy who comes from South Africa at 17 years old, has the most horrific childhood you could ever imagine, doesn't really have a lot of money, but has a backpack full of books and and a desire to do something great, lands in the United States of America, puts himself through school, becomes one of the most intelligent, educated, hardworking people our country has ever seen, and innovates faster and more efficiently than probably anybody since, you know, Thomas Edison. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Well, I was just wondering why are we going to be trying to build a 
space station so we can launch off at the moon. Who owns that? Well, nobody owns it, but the, but the idea is if you have a space station at the moon, so first you can buzz around the moon, and if nothing else, you could just take a trip around the moon. And if you could, let's say $100,000, and you could get into a ship and fly over to the moon and, and, and do all the things or whatever. That's a pretty solid thing. Like, that's at least attainable. You could sit down and people, I, I hear all the time people telling me, oh, I don't want to own a house. I want to have experiences. So I'm just going to rent an apartment for the rest of my life, and then I'll have experiences. You know what would be a great experience? Going to the moon. That would be a pretty sweet experience. So you could save up potentially $100,000 and you could go take that trip. So that becomes feasible. Now, if you have a space station there and you can stop there, now you could go somewhere else. Maybe you could visit Mars or elsewhere. Why? Well, there's a, well, there's a couple of things. So there's there's a couple of things. So there's the, the there's the immediate novelty of just being able to say, hey, I can go to space and, and learn something new. So there's that. But additionally, we don't have a way to dispose of nuclear waste right now. If we had an efficient way to get in and out of space, that problem goes away. We don't really have a plan or a, a solution to if the Earth is destroyed. That being an, an interplanetary species would would solve that problem, and the like we're running out of space. We the world population continues to increase, and we we continue to run out of space. So if there is a if there is if it becomes more cost effective to get to other planets, and we can start taking advantage of those things and whatever natural resources are there, that seems like a not bad way to go. Well, they're taking away our lawnmowers, for Christ's sakes. Now we got to go to the moon and go to Mars. And we, well, you know how long it's going to take to get our food back from there? It'll be so expired. So to your point, to <laughs> your point. Get, we can't even get milk, milk to, the, to the grocery store sometimes without, by the time to get it there. It's outdated. So but now we're going to fly to the moon and the Mars. I, I think it's a stretch. So That's here's the thing. Me, you're, you're, you're not wrong, right? So so there, what you're exemplifying is there are a ton of more immediate problems here on Earth to solve that a fraction of the amount of money that we're spending to go to space could solve. If you're talking about spending over a billion dollars, would you choose to spend it to go to space? Because there's absolutely an argument to be made for, no, there are more immediate problems to solve here on Earth. However, comma, I think a lot of problems that we would want to solve here on Earth, if we go about it with the same frame of thinking, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, Noah, how do we get internet to every man, woman, and child on Earth? I'd be, boy, man, you're talking hundreds of billions of dollars to bury that much fiber. Because that's how I know to get internet from point A to point B. When you talk talking about what if we had a cost-effective way to put satellites up in the sky and then they'll burn up and we just put more up there, and then you get instantaneously have internet connection to everybody on planet Earth, then I look and I go, okay, that's a better way to do that. Let's, let's say everybody starts to work in the United States and we build their own products, we won't need China. Well, to be fair, that's yeah, look, what Elon look, Musk look, is doing, right? American-built cars, American-built spaceships, American-built rockets, American-built science. But why is it we got to spend all this money to go and travel over to get, get our, all our stuff from other countries just think how much global climate change that is, but nobody but seems did. to talk about that. But there, but but Tesla, the, part of the Gigafactory was they're mining all of the lithium-ion batteries at the Gigafactory. They're doing that in the United States. Now, 40% of it is waste, and so there's an argument to be made about how much mo- millions and millions of dollars are being literally thrown out in the, in the form of waste. So we could certainly be doing better, but we are we are doing it in America. Okay, in 100 years, what's going to happen when all the cobalt and lithium's gone? Then what are we going to use? So the argument there would be we're going to continue to iterate on battery technology, which Tesla is doing in their home cells, right? Well, you answered most of my questions, but now i got more questions. But well, I am, it, please. I'm, I'm still one of them old guys. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. I want to go forward. I am glad that the car that I drive today has way more features and is way safer and takes into account what how I want to drive and what I want to do as opposed to the cars of the 1970s or 1980s. I'm glad that we have more horsepower and, and more safety features and all the rest of it. I wish the government would take a, a backseat to it. But 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. For, for me, these you know, the immediate needs in the United States and on mm-hmm. the planet and the future possibility for development. It's, it's not that we have to, or should tackle one or the other. Mm-hmm. I think both can be done simultaneously. Do sure. I think that it's, I, I, like you said, not a huge fan of, of, you know, the government propping up these companies, but look what it did for Howard Hughes. And then, what Howard Hughes in turn did for the nation mm-hmm. um, was it, there was some ridiculous stat. It was like 90% of the satellites currently in orbit were originally developed from Hughes aerospace. Mm-hmm. 90%. Hughes, 
Hughes received a ton of money from the federal government for the war effort. That money then in turn funded these other things. Mm -hmm. And it did make him a very wealthy man, but it progressed us as a country light years beyond where we would have been if nobody had come along and said, you know, I think that I would like to try to do this. I think Mm -hmm. this is possible. If that had been stifled, we would still be working without internet and a lot of these other things are at least not in the shape that we have it today. We wouldn't have the the spy assets that we have. We wouldn't have the telecommunications, the medicine that we have today. Uh If we stifled people that want to push forward. Absolutely. And so, so to have somebody that comes and largely does the initiative by itself, again, I get that there's a government funding aspect to it, but to large, and I thank you for the call to have somebody who is willing to take the initiative and say, you won't do it. I will. And then to be honest with you has a certain amount of arrogance or confidence, whichever it is to say, I can spend tax dollars more efficiently than you can spend. You, 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 I just want to build rockets and go to space. I can get behind that. 775-5559, you're on KNOX. Good morning. Yeah, morning, Noah. I, I think what Elon Musk is doing is, is just just awesome. I know I'm not a big electric car guy. I love old vehicles. I love the sound of a four-barrel carburetor on a sure. V8. But it's awesome technology. It's so cool. We don't have the uh, infrastructure electrically to handle all electric cars right now. Mm-hmm. And let's say that with our, our how we currently are right now, we don't have all electric cars. And if we went all the way over to renewable energy and got rid of fossil fuels, we would we would not be able to maintain our current electrical use. Agreed. So we really got to we we got to figure it out. But maybe in the future we can do it. But as far as this rocket launch goes, mm-hmm. um, it's awesome. And the media is tearing them down and they're acting negative about it for two reasons. We're so used to instant now, now, yes. now, instant. We, we 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 don't watch the process. We we don't know that there's a process because there always is a process to everything. Nothing's perfect. All right, we'll take the break here. We'll continue in the next segment. Wrap it up. This is critical thought on Gano X. FM1055 text messenger says another reason to get space to collect the materials for batteries. If you're just joining us, we're talking about Elon Musk heading back into space with the launch of his latest rocket uh, or latest spaceship firing 30 some rockets all at the same time, successfully making it off the launch pad and uh, rapid unscheduled disassembly uh, during the separation phase. Now, text messenger says this listeners are resistant to change. So when you start looking at the energy crisis and how people want to deal with renewable energy and all the rest of it, people don't, a lot of what Elon Musk does in the boring company and Tesla and SpaceX, it's all interconnected. If you're wanting to go to Mars and you're trying to do it in one lifetime, then you have to lay out all of the problems ahead of you and start systematically attacking them one at a time and then having little short little teams work on the systematic problems. So you're not going to have access to fossil fuels in space. You can't ship gas back and forth. So you're going to have to power everything off of the sun. The good news is God gave us a nuclear reactor in the sky and there's more than enough energy to power everything we'd ever want to power that comes from that energy source. We just need a way to store it. We need a way to transfer it. So Tesla working on that. Cars to get around. Tesla working on that. Boring company. You have to be able to get into Mars or into a planet and you have to be able to build structure and it's easier to bore into a place and use the existing planet as an exoskeleton. Then you can just kind of decorate the inside and get the life supporting measures that you'd need inside. Boring company. And finally, you have to be able to get back and forth to and from there transportation wise SpaceX. So all of this stuff works together to achieve uh, in end and what is fascinating like again i was telling mark Ewens, he stopped in the, the the studio and i was talking to him about some other stuff and i'm the first person to say 
if you're trying to do something crazy and unproven, you're kind of out there in la-la land and I don't take you seriously. And there's there's no shortage of those kinds of people, right? There's Everybody wants to skip the process. We have a process in this country and really around the world of how you go into a field and become innovative. You study what everybody else has studied before you until you understand it better than they do. Then, because it's very diverse, you pick one specific discipline and you start to make some progress or learn something new or prove something and get everybody else to agree with you on that thing. And it's a slow, iterative process to build the necessary knowledge until you have all of the building blocks to accomplish some bigger thing. Off the bat, I, I, don't, I didn't have a lot of respect and I'm really not on board with you just trying to you know, go it alone and hiring amateur rocket builders to try to get into space. But the first time the Falcon rocket makes it into space, you got to stand back and be like, huh, son of a gun, the guy actually did it. And then when he did it a second time with three Falcon rockets and got them to land, it's like, huh, son of a gun. He did it again and was able to one up the best we anybody in the world has ever done because now the rockets reland. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. I got about 30 seconds. Cool, Noah. I'm pretty much with you. When I was a kid, uh, I wanted to be an astronaut. Now that I'm uh, almost, I want, I'm pushing 40, I want to keep my feet right here on Earth. <laughs> but I am glad, I'm glad we're doing it. And the last point I want to make is I think uh, a lot of people have problems with billionaires because, you know, a lot of them tend to just hoard their money. They buy gold-plated cars, right? They buy several mansions around the world. And if we had more billionaires like Elon Musk that are putting the money back into society and doing big things, I think you'd have a lot less people having problems with billionaires. So good on you, Elon. The man wakes up every morning and asks, what can he do to better society, be impactful to the rest of humanity to make a lasting difference? So like him, dislike him. Got to have respect for that. All right. Third hour. Next, this is Critical Thought in KNOX. Thanks for listening to Critical Thought. Download the show notes at criticalthought.show. The content from this episode was taken from the live radio show, which airs every weekday from 9 a.m. to noon on Newstalk 1310 KNOX. Streamed online at knoxradio.com.